Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today is a Saturday, uh, Sabbath, Shabbat, in um, Hebrew, and it's December 11th of 2010. So, where are we right now in prophecy? Where are we right now in reference to Yeshua, or Jesus? Uh, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, coming back to this earth and bringing peace on the earth. Well, as I was explaining to my family the other day, and I'm going to get into the, the, the Torah readings here, it's just that... Uh, as I see things get more serious, I have to get more serious about <clears throat> warning people and letting people know that uh, we need to wake up to reality, wake up to the problems that we have in the world right now. We just can't just focus on our little lives and where we live at and so forth. And we have to realize that we're all interconnected and that we all, whatever happens in in Africa affects the United States. Whatever happens in the United States affects Africa etc. We're all interconnected right now in the 21st century, as prophesied. The uh, Torah readings or the the teachings of God uh, that's going to be discussed today after I get through with uh, answering the question that I started out with at the beginning of this program, uh, Genesis chapter 44, starting in verse 18 to Genesis 47, verse 27, Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 15 to 28, and Luke chapter 6, verses 9 to 18. So anyway, where are we now in, in prophecy? Because my wife just asked me, when is the 6,000 years over and all that? Well, I don't think anyone knows. Uh, we understand that, based on Jewish tradition, that God has a 6,000-year, actually a 7,000-year plan. And the 6,000 years are to be used up to for man to understand that we just can't do it, we just can't live successfully and have peace without God's commandments and his law. The 1,000 year uh, millennia, that's what it's called, and actually that's what people have termed it. I don't see the word millennium anywhere in the Bible, but in Revelation chapter, let's see, where is it at? Revelation chapter 21, or actually, Revelation chapter 20, it talks about a 1,000-year period of peace on the earth. Uh, Revelation chapter 20. And starting in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And I'm reading in the King James Version. And he lay hold on the dragon, that old serpent, Okay, so remember that this devil is very old, and people seem to think that because something is old that it could be righteous. Well, it can, but something can be very wicked and be very old, too. And this is an example here of the devil himself. That old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, or Satan, uh, saying it hebraically, and bound him a thousand years. Verse 3, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive or trick. That's what deceive is. Uh, you trick somebody. 
the nations no more to the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season or a little while. Now, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls, or the lives, of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, this is talking about what's going to occur here that is outlined in Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 3. Let's turn there, Isaiah chapter 3. Actually, Isaiah chapter 2, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So Judah means the Jews, and Jerusalem is, of course, where they reside at uh, uh, over, I think it's over 7 million of them right now. And then the second uh, part of the world where they reside at the most is, of course, the United States. I think there's over 5 or 6 million of them here in the United States. Verse 2, And it shall come to pass in the last days, these are the days that we're living in today, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and what that's referring to is Mount Moriah. That's where the Temple Mount is located. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. So, all nations not flowing to the Temple Mount or the place where the uh, the Temple will be built soon, uh, but they will. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, another name for Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. That means many people need to be corrected. That's what rebuke means. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares to be used for agriculture, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And then in verse 5, he talks about the house of Jacob, which I've explained many times in this program, is referring to... Uh, all the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. The Jews is a part of Judah, which is only one of the tribes of Israel. You have 11 more. The United States, Britain, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the countries in northwestern Europe, and South Africa, all are part of and consist of those tribes geographically. And, of course, anyone that uh, believes that Yeshua is the Messiah or Jesus is the Messiah and is, is immersed in the water and is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit also becomes a part of the commonwealth of Israel, as is explained, as is explained in Ephesians chapter 2. So, uh, for more proof of that, and I mean proof, this is definitive proof uh, from secular sources, outside the Bible sources, as well as... Uh, Bible sources and Jewish um, historical references like the Talmud and, and the Mishnah and so forth, uh, you should go to www.britam, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M, B as in boy, R-I-T-A-M as in mother, dot org. And there's all kinds of information. You don't have to purchase his books. I did, but you don't have to to, to understand uh, that this individual has a good uh, accurate uh, understanding of who the 12 tribes are. They're not lost. They've been found uh, for anyone that wants to, to know the truth and desires to know the truth. All right, anyway, Isaiah chapter 2, and then in verse 5, O house of Jacob, so we understand who the house of Jacob is, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Now, what does that word soothsayers mean? Let me look this up in my um, my Bible program here and get the uh, definition of that word soothsayers so we can understand that more fully here. Soothsayers means to cover, to practice magic, enchanter, sorcerer, 
and we do in this country. We we, we focus on uh, there. There are witches and I guess warlocks in this country. Uh, that's a uh, male witch, and uh, we we do deal in the occult. Uh, even even our top politicians do that. Uh, I don't know if you heard of the Bohemian Grove, but you can just type it up on the internet and you find out that it's a place where top politicians and and important people in this country. Uh, they go there and they worship owls and so forth. So uh, the Bohemian Grove, just go ahead and type it on the Internet. But anyway, uh, we have a problem with the soothsaying and so forth, obviously. And um, and they please themselves and, the stra- and children of strangers in verse 7. Now this tells you, gives you a little clue here who Jacob consists of here. <laughs> Their land also is full of silver and gold now in Jerusalem. Is it full of silver and gold? No, not like the United States. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Uh, I think that's the United States uh, folks. Uh, <laughs> their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. We're the richest country in the world, folks. Their land is also full of horses. Yes, horses uh, today is referring to military armaments, military resources. Neither is there any end of their chariots. And we, we have the largest military by far in the world as far as capability, not not um, not uh, the, the total army of human beings, but as far as capabilities, uh, we're the most sophisticated and most powerful army in the world. Um, verse 8, their land also is full of idols, and I would agree with that, American idol and all kinds of idols. An idol is not just a, a statue. What you worship, or you you turn into a human being, make it look like a human being, which is totally against what God uh, commanded Moses to tell the people. But also, an idol can be anything that you put, or anything that you value that's more important than God. They worship the work of their own hands, which proves my point. That which their own fingers have made. So anyway, and you read this, it starts to, starts to talk about how rich we are, and then it starts to talk about the day of the Lord and so forth, and it talks about the, uh, actually gives a description of the uh, the sixth seal in the book of Revelation, which is pretty interesting. That's another Bible study in itself. But anyway, uh, to answer the question, we're very close, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, the Great Tribulation. Some people think we may perhaps be in the Tribulation, but I'm, I know we are. Tribulation means suffering, and <laughs> human beings have suffered throughout uh, the ages. But one of the things that you can actually use, as I told my wife the other day, um, it's a good book that I suggest people get. It's called The End of Poverty. By I think the guy's name is Jeffrey Sachs. He's an expert in uh, uh, worldwide poverty issues. And uh, it's a good book. And, and I've read the beginning a couple of chapters. I need to read the rest of it. But it's a pretty good book, a good reference book as well. And in the beginning chapters, he talks about the fact that prior to the 1800s, prior to the Industrial Revolution, which began in the 1800s, um, all nations were the same uh, economically. But beginning with the invention of the steamboat and and the the Industrial Revolution, that's when there started to be a gap between the rich and the poor. And why why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling you this so that we can understand that we are in the end times uh, when you go to uh, Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, come on, Proverbs, okay, Proverbs chapter 30, you go to Proverbs chapter 30, and then you go to verse 14, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. In this country, we have the widest gap, the widest gap among the rich and the poor. And and worldwide, among the Western nations, there is, uh, when I mean Western, United States, uh, uh, Canada, uh, the countries in Northwestern Europe, uh, we we have a very deep gap among the rich and the poor. And, of course, we have robbed Africa of their resources, of the gold and, and resources for the Western nation's benefit, and those folks are very, very poor, are suffering.
tremendously in reference to poverty. And it's just, um, let me go to my website here. I have some other information I need to, to tell you that is on my Merciful Servants of God website that I need to revise. And I'll have the time to do it here after next week. Um, in the last week of my um, MBA in marketing program that I wanted to get 16 years ago, but that's another story. <laughs> but I'll be done with it next week so I could focus on updating my website my uh, ministry website. But uh, mercifulservants.god, I'm on there now, and I'm trying to find this information about, um, here we go, poverty facts. And click this. And there's a website that I recommend to each and every one of you, if you truly are understand, uh, if you truly are concerned about learning about the truth. Go to www.globalissues.org, Global issues.org. This is by far, as far as I'm concerned, the best website that explains what Proverbs 30, verse 14 is talking about. Let me read that again. It says, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor off from off the to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And we are living in that generation, which I believe started in 1945 with the invention of the atomic bomb and with the destruction or almost destruction of Hiroshima and and also Nagasaki. But anyway, the percent of people in the world, or Hiroshima, I think it's pronounced Hiroshima or Hiroshima. I, I'll go ahead and pronounce it Hiroshima. Anyway. The percent of people in the world at different poverty levels, 2005, this is off this website uh, that I gave you, and the sources from the World Bank Development Indicators, 2008. At least 80%, at least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. You think that's not um, confirming this prophecy in Proverbs 30, verse 8? At least 80%, folks, 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. All right, that that's a very shocking percentage there. More than 80% of the world's population lives in countries where income differentials are widening. The poorest 40% of the world's population accounts for 5% of global income. The richest 20% accounts for three-quarters of world income. All right, and I can read this. There's so many different facts here, but it's, it's just sad. And, uh, like, the number of children in the world is 2.2 billion, and the number in poverty, the number of children in poverty is 1 billion, every second child. That's sad, ladies and gentlemen, but it only confirms, again, this scripture in Proverbs 30. And starting in verse 14, there is a generation whose teeth are as sores, and their jaw teeth as knives that devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. And God has promised when we get in, in this type of generation, he's going to rise. He's going to to uh, end all this. We don't know exactly when, but he will. In Psalm, chapter, um, I think it's chapter 12. There's a lot of prophecy in the book of Psalms, not just for music. Some, a lot of it is uh, musical prophecy. And Psalm, chapter 12, verse 5, he states, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety, from him that puffeth at him. So he's going to rise during this time of people suffering and other poverty. And in Malachi, and I must preach this message because this is a message of hope for many people that are suffering, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. And I need to tell you that God is coming. He's coming soon here to end all this because he doesn't want people suffering like this. And in Malachi chapter 3, in, in, in verse 1, he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That was referring to Yochanan, um, the immerser, or John the Baptist, and is also referring to this future Elijah, whoever he is. And he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That's another name. The word messenger means angel. And so Yeshua is considered an angel, a messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. And in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. 
and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And that's all that God wants to do. That's why he tells us to repent. The message of the gospel is to repent, repent, change. He wants to, to clean our minds of the filth that we have accumulated from our fathers and purge them as gold and silver that he that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Hold your place here. Let me explain what I just mentioned because some of you say, what are you talking about? Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16 is a, uh, a stunning prophecy uh, about what I just said. says right here in verse 19 this is a prophecy of the of the state now i just read to you that the devil uh tricked or deceives the whole world uh in revelation chapter 20 we have to understand that the whole world has been deceived and tricked so if the whole world's been deceived and tricked and we all need to repent and we need to understand what the truth is and many people don't understand that we are all born, and we assume that everything is okay, and and uh, <laughs> that every everything that uh, we have been taught right here in Revelation 20 verse 3, it says that this devil should deceive the nations no more, or trick the nations no more. So, and then in Revelation 12 verse 9, it states that the devil deceives the whole world or tricks the whole world. So we get this, this fact now. How has he tricked the whole world? Well, Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 19 explains. Um, how this occurred here. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, Jeremiah 16, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, lies, trickery, deceits, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Talking about fathers of our past generations, we were taught things that we thought were true, but they were all tricks, a lot of it. Now, I'm not saying that everything that our parents taught us was wrong, but an example, and I'm going to get probably my uh, Christmas program soon here to reveal the truth of that. Christmas is a lie, folks. Um, Jeremiah chapter 10 tells you about a tree that that is um, set up and nailed and silver and gold is put on the tree. All right, that's obviously talking about a Christmas tree. So it's a very old tradition, and to associate that day with a fat man that <laughs> supposedly comes down the chimney, and I wonder how he fits in some of these chimneys, but uh, as a fat man that comes down a chimney and gives gifts to people every uh, December 24th, I guess, Christmas Eve or whatever, uh, before midnight or whatever, I forgot to do the tradition, and and uh, to associate that and to lie to your children every year and to state that there is a Santa Claus when there is no such thing. And they say, well, it's just a white lie. Well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where a lie is a white lie and that is okay because it has some good to it. A, a lie is a lie. All right? And, and um, people spend billions of dollars uh, on uh, millions of dollars, actually, on, on uh, I think I forgot whether it was billion or million, but it's a lot of money that people spend uh, on uh, Black Friday, that's what they call it, uh, because most people, they, they work, and that's the best time for them to go and shop uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, which is usually on a Thursday, and, and they go shop on Friday, and they go out of their minds, basically, a lot of them, and, and they're buying gifts, and they stay stay up and <laughs> they go to these stores and they and and in line for up to midnight or in the morning if people had that kind of devotion toward God we wouldn't have the issues that we have today in the world but unfortunately as i read to you earlier we have our idols we we have things that we think are more important than God and and christmas is definitely on that list and and people say well hey we associate christmas with the birth of christ well that's another lie Christ was not born December 25th. That can be easily proven out of any Internet search. Just type in, was Christ born on December 25th? All right? Uh, most people will admit that that's not true, that he was not born on December 25th. So you have two lives associated with uh, Christmas. And Christmas has been a recent celebration in this country, a holiday since, the, I think, the latter or middle 
parts of the 1800s has been an official holiday. Prior to that, it was not celebrated here in this country as a holiday. And many people don't know that either. So it's a lot of things. I'm going to explain this probably in the next couple of weeks. I'm trying to figure out which week I'm going to give this broadcast. But people need to know the truth about Christmas. That is definitely not a day that God would approve anyone celebrating. And and uh, we need to understand that, and we need to celebrate God's holy days. Uh, that, that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23, and also the, the traditional days that the Jews have celebrated that has nothing to do with taking away the truth of the Bible, like Hanukkah, for instance. Hanukkah is something that has a whole lot more value than Christmas. But um, I'm trying to find this other scripture here that I think is popping in my brain here. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28. And I say this to anyone that tries to challenge me about the Christmas uh, scenario here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, or challenge God, because that's all you're doing, challenging God. I'm just reading to you what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever. Remember I told you about the, the lies inherited from the fathers? When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest in them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that you be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods. And Christmas, when you understand it, is, is really a celebration that goes back to Nimrod. It celebrates Nimrod's birthday, which was on December 25th. So that I'll go into that hopefully uh, either next week or the following. I think I'm going to do do a special program on that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll do it uh, next week So on Christmas, the truth about Christmas. But anyway, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them after that day be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, even so will I do likewise. He doesn't want you adding any pagan traditions, which Christmas is totally pagan. Uh, verse 31, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire of their gods. Now, verse 32 is the key verse here. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So, when people tell me, well, we're just associating Christ's birth with Christmas, God says, no, you don't do it. You don't add to it, nor diminish from it. And Jeremiah chapter 10, I'm going to go over that next week, but you can read that. It's a pretty good chapter. And you tell me the Christmas tree is not mentioned in there. God had to mention it in there because <laughs> he knew it was going to be a big issue in these latter days. And it is. All right, so anyway... Um, so in Jeremiah 16, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, a Gentile shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know my hand and my might, that they shall know that my name is the Lord, or Yahweh, or Yehovah. Uh, those are the two. Uh, most popular uh, names of God so far that people have discovered. I think there may be another one, but I know Yahweh or Yahweh, Yahweh. Um, people can't make up their minds and <laughs> on how to pronounce him, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But uh, we are eventually will know how to pronounce his real name and so forth. And the word Lord is translated uh, in most cases in the King James Version, Y-H-W-H, which is Yahweh or Yahweh or Yahweh. Okay. So, and then Zechariah, Zechariah, chapter 8, is, a, is another prophecy, uh, a key prophecy here. And it states here, in verse 20 of Zechariah, chapter 8, Thus said the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass, because it hasn't yet, that, that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord. It's like people go speedily to go Christmas shopping. People are going to go speedily to go pray 
before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, not to your local congregation down the street, and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, because those days haven't come yet, it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, tells you the importance of a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So that that is very important to understand, ladies and gentlemen. And all the nations will be drawn to God. And so we are very close, very close to the end, and in Matthew chapter, the end of the uh, civilization here, and uh, the way we know it, the unpeaceful civilization that we have had for many or thousands of years. In Matthew chapter 24, and it states right here, uh, verse 2, Actually, verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And this is, he tells you here, but people still wondering, and, you know, he, he tells you um, a synopsis, a summary of what's going to happen here. And then verse 4, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So, Again, I read you in the beginning of this program of the deception by the devil, and, and Christ is only confirming that. It's going to be worldwide deception in these end times. Trickery. Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. You're hearing about Korea, North Korea, South Korea. Thank God nothing has happened yet, but doesn't mean it won't. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation. That word should be translated families or tribes. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. All right, the first thing we're experiencing right now worldwide, an economic famine, that it will lead to a, a literal famine of food upon the earth. And pestilences, and then once you don't have any food, your immune system breaks down and you have diseases. And then earthquakes, and these earthquakes have been occurring, the mightiest earthquakes uh, ever have occurred in the 21st century. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So that's where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen, the poverty stage, the uh, tremendous uh, poverty that's going to cause wars. Because back, and you remember back during the Great Depressionary stage, if you go back in the 20s and early 30s of the Great Depression, when we had that, what, what did that stimulate worldwide? It stimulated a war. And that's, what we're, that's what's going to happen again, ladies and gentlemen. There's going to be a war. Christ stated that there would be a war. Nation shall rise again, the kingdom against kingdom. That's world war. There will be another world war coming, ladies and gentlemen. And, and it's in the context of a famine, a great famine uh, upon the earth. The famine that we, we're beginning, the, the beginning stages of it, uh, we're experiencing. What I'm trying to say, we're experiencing the beginning stages of this famine as I'm speaking. And... And James, and as many other people are speaking <laughs> about it, James, and ministers need to be preaching about this. We need to be preaching that things are winding down and we need to get prepared for another world war, uh, the tremendous famine upon the earth. We need to be preparing for that. In James chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your misery that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Let me read this in another version here, for clarity's sake. See, in James chapter 5, one of my most favorite uh, scriptures here. This is in the, um, let me read it in the um, 1965 Bible and basic English version. James 5, verse 1, Come now, you men of wealth. Now, where are the men of wealth located here <laughs> worldwide, folks? Come on, let's, let's, use, let's use our brains that God has given us. Uh, we know where the wealthy folks are in the United States and, and, the, and the British um, territories and, and the countries in Northwestern Europe. That, that's where the rich are, folks. 
the majority of them. James 5, verse 1. Oh, wait, before I get to James 5, verse 1, I just want to make a point. That this, remember now, James was the literal brother of Jesus, physically, as well as spiritually. But James chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So this particular epistle, which is prophetic, was given from Yeshua, from God the Father to Yeshua, and Yeshua gave this information to his brother James, to give to us for the 12 tribes back then and today, in particular today. And this epistle is addressed to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, and they are scattered abroad. They are not all back in the land of Israel, which, by the way, in the Torah readings today, it addresses that that will happen in the future. Ezekiel chapter 37, and we will go over that today. But anyway, in James chapter 1, it says, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Messiah, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So this epistle is specifically, it's for everyone, but it's specifically for the twelve tribes of Israel, which the United States is certainly a part of, a significant part of. Anyway, James chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Go to now, oh, let me read this in the uh, 1965 Bible and Basic English Version. James 5, verse 1, Come now, you men of wealth, Give yourselves to weeping and crying because of the bitter troubles which are coming to you. And it's, it's coming. Verse 2, your wealth is unclean and insects have made holes in your clothing. Your gold and your silver are wasted and their waste will be a witness against you, burning into your flesh. And I, I've mentioned, I guess, quite a few times that we're just printing money out of thin air. And what that is doing is increasing the money supply. The reason why I say it's out of thin air is because we don't have the money to print. I mean, we have the money to print. We have the machines to print the money. We don't have the resources to back up the notes. A note is something that you owe, and we don't owe. I mean, we do owe what we print, and we can't afford it. But we continue to print it because our dollar is the is the reserve currency in the world. It's the number one currency in the world, and so we can get away with it. But eventually, that's that's going to, as this prophecy is telling us here, that's going to end soon. Verse 3, your gold and silver are wasted, and their waste will be a witness against you, burning into your flesh. You have put up your store in the last days. See the money which you falsely kept back from the workers. So it's talking about socioeconomics here. Cutting the grass in your field. Back then it was cutting the grass. Today is, is all kinds of work. It's crying out against you, and the cries of those who took in your grain have come to the ears of the Lord of armies. Verse 5, you have been living delicately on earth and have taken your pleasure. You have made, and this is a message to the elite right now, the CFR, the the, uh, the Trilateral Commission, all these uh, IMF, the World Bank, all these elitist type of organizations. God is telling them a message here. You have been living delicately on earth and have taken your pleasure. You have made your hearts fat for the day of destruction. You have given your decision against the upright man and put him to death. He puts up no fight against you. Go on waiting calmly, my brothers, to the coming of the Lord, like the farmer waiting for the fruit of the earth to the early and late rains have come. Be as calm in your waiting. Let your hearts be strong because the coming of the Lord is near. Say no hard things against one another, brothers, so that you will not be judged. See, the judge is waiting at the doors. Okay? So God is telling us that he's going to come here. He's going to end all this. And and these economic troubles are a sign that he's going to be coming back soon. You have to look at this. Prophecy is linked to socioeconomics. It's, it's, it's linked also to how we act, to, to, to our character. That's what prophecy is all about, uh, future history. Prophecy, the... The bad part about prophecy is going to come because we collectively as a human race are not acting like we should. There's always a few that do act right, but there's the many that don't. And God is concerned about the majority not acting right. And he wants them all to repent just like the few have and to, to keep his law. So that that is the concern there. And then in James chapter 2 talks about 
the issue that we have in this country and around the world of partiality, and it talks about the rich and the poor, uses an analogy here. And, and in verse 5 it says in James chapter 2, Give ear, my dear brothers, are not those who are poor in the things of this world marked out by God to have faith as their wealth and for their heritage, the kingdom which he has said he will give to those who have love for him? So this verse, and then let me read this in another version here. It says, Listen, my dear brothers, this is a complete Jewish Bible version. Hasn't God chosen a poor of this world to be rich in faith and to receive the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So the kingdom of God is also for the poor. That's what he's saying. So um, the people that are put down in this in this life, that are righteous, are going to be raised up. Remember when Christ said, the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The people that we think are so holy and stuff, in more likelihood they're going to be <laughs> not, uh, let's put it this way, there's going to be a surprise in, in who gets what in the kingdom. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's another the Bible study in itself. But anyway, um, I hope I've answered the question about where we are in prophecy right now. We're very close to the end. I'm not going to get up here and, and predict dates, but we're very close. And I, I wanted to talk about uh, these tax cuts and, and all that, but I'm going to have to get into that next week. Um, maybe I'll talk about that when I talk about the Christmas um, the Christmas story, I guess. But anyway, let me let me go over the Torah readings here as quickly as I can here, because uh, it's three eleven. Don't have too much time here. So, courtesy of Chabad here, I'm going to go ahead and summarize the uh, Genesis chapter forty four verse eighteen to Genesis forty seven verse twenty seven. Judah approaches Joseph to plead for the release of Benjamin, offering himself as a slave to the Egyptian ruler in Benjamin's stead. Upon witnessing the brothers' loyalty to one another, Joseph reveals his identity to them. I am Joseph, he declares. Is my father still alive? The brothers are overcome by shame and remorse, but Joseph comforts them. It was not you who sent me here, he says to them, but God, it has all been ordained from above to save us in the entire region from famine. Now, remember, this is a worldwide famine, and this is interesting because as I'm speaking, we're going through worldwide famine right now and god used joseph which as i've explained joseph is a type of messiah but also joseph represents the the two most powerful nations in the world today economically uh united states and britain and we did save the world after world war ii through the marshall plan and god would love for us to continue to be the uh, leaders of the world in terms of morality, not the dictators, but the leaders, but we have failed in that. And that I forgot to mention about the, the seven cows, and the, that is somewhat prophetic as well because uh, the seven cows, of course, represents um, seven years of plenty and then the seven cows, seven years of, of famine. And God talks about Israel being <laughs> fat, and and it's, it's really interesting, and he talks about the seven cows that are, are fat and then seven cows that are lean, which prophetically is also referring to the fact that we're going to be suffering soon. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32, that's one characteristic that God really hammers. And for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will understand that he's got to be talking about the fat nations uh, of uh, the modern nations of Israel, which include, of course, the United States and the British nations, um, or Commonwealth of Nations. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And he talks about the United States and, and the other Western nations here, verse 15. It's a little humorous here, but Jezreel waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxing fat, thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. I mean, he's really hammering this to wake us up to say, look, I know who you are. I know who you are. You are that fat, spoiled, wealthy nation called the United States today and the British Commonwealth of Nations. That's who you are today. You're Jezreel. You wax fat 
And we are one of the fattest nations in the world right now, ladies and gentlemen. We are one of the fattest nations in the world. And we do wax fat. There's been, you can just type on the Internet about obesity in this country. It is a major problem. It causes diabetes. It causes all kinds of other problems. And we need to wake up to that. We need to wake up to that and and, and start exercising. And but God doesn't like that we are fat. Verse 15, <clears throat> actually verse 13, he tells us a little clue, too, of who he's talking about. He made him ride on the high place of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. talks about our, our, uh, our resources of oil. We get it from other countries, but we have quite a few of it. Quite a, much, we, we would not be able to have the type of technological advances and live in our high-tech society today without the oil that we get from the Middle East. And that's what that's referring to here. In addition, it's also referring that we do have oil resources here in this country. But we don't want to invest the money to be able to get those resources. We want to instead get the cheap oil from the Middle East. Anyway, verse 13, he made him ride on the highest places of the earth. And we are riding on the highest places of the earth, the United States, that he might eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and the rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. But he talks about again, but Jezreel waxed fat and kicked, and thou art waxing fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. And we are, unfortunately. Then he forsook God, which made him, and that's what's happened. All that fatness, physically and mentally, has, has made us forsake God. And lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation, which is Yeshua. Verse 16, they provoked him to jealousy with strange God, with abominations, provoked them to anger. So if you read the rest of this prophecy, it's, it's pretty interesting here. And, and then uh, this prophecy is for the end times. And, and Moses said here in, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, verse 28 rather, it says... Um, Verse 26, let me, let me start this, uh, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26. Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck, and we are stiff-necked people. Behold, I am yet alive with you this day. You have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against them, for I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the la Whenever you see the word latter days, it's talking about the days we're living in today. Because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. He says, um, you will turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. And that great evil is coming, ladies and gentlemen, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And so, in verse 1 of, of Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, and this is such an important prophecy, it's, it's given to the whole world. Verse 1, Give ear, O you heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. So this is so important that the whole world needs to know about it. And you should study Deuteronomy 32, one of the most significant prophecies ever, ever written in the Bible. All right, so... Let's get on with uh, the story of Joseph here, uh, courtesy of Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org, C-H-A-B as in boy, A-D as in dog.org. Okay, so the brothers rush back to Canaan with the news. Jacob comes to Egypt with his sons and their family, 70 souls and all, and is reunited with his beloved son after 22 years. On his way to Egypt, he receives the divine promise, fear not, to go down to Egypt, for I will make, I will there make of you a great nation. And I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. Joseph gathers the wealth of Egypt by selling food and seed during the famine. Pharaoh gives Jacob's family the fertile country of Goshen to settle, and the children of Israel prosper in the Egyptian exile. So that, that is a very, very um, important section of, of Scripture there. And, and it's kind of symbolic of, of what did occur during the uh, the 20th century with the United States uh, sustaining the world, basically. And we have for many years, but unfortunately our sin, 
going to cause us not to do that, as outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Instead of us being the head, uh, we're going to be the tail. And and the, the Gentiles, and they are right now, China's becoming more powerful than us economically. Um, uh, they are going to, they already uh, are, are more powerful than us in certain ways. They have the world's fastest computer. They are advancing more than us, educationally, everything. That prophecy is, is coming to pass. Okay. Let's turn to um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter uh, 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is a prophecy of the 12 tribes coming back to the land of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 15, says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Moreover, the son of man, moreover thou son of man, in Ezekiel 37, verse 16, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah, or the Jews, and for the children of Israel, his companions, then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So Ephraim is the leader of the twelve tribes of Israel, and Ephraim uh, does consist of uh, the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations. And then for all the house of Israel, his companions. Uh, in other words, anyone else has attaches himself to Ephraim. Verse seventeen, and join them one to another into one stick, because right now they're separated. And this separation, remember began because of Solomon's great sin. Originally, all the 12 tribes were together, but because of Solomon's great sin, Judah was uh, the tribe of Judah was, was uh, separated from the other tribes. So anyway, but, but this will, what happened back in the days of Solomon is going to be repaired here in the end time soon. So anyway, um, it says right here in verse 16, For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, and take another stick and write upon it for Judah, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So Joseph is associated with Ephraim, which was uh, one of his sons, and for all the house of Israel. Verse 17, And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Will thou not show us what this means? Okay, so... Let's find out what it means. Verse 19, Say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, or the Jews, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. Verse 20, And the sticks wherein thou writest shall be in thy hand before their, their eyes. Verse 20, And and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, which they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And so United States and British Commonwealth, we're not considered Gentiles, folks. We're, we're, we're Israel. All right, uh, We're not Jews, but we are part of Israel. We're Israelites. And that's the truth. Verse 22, And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Verse 23, Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols and with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, that he outlines our sins and our problems, because he's fully aware of them. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, or they will repent. So they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and and, sh and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Because we're not doing it right now, that's for sure, and <laughs> collectively. And they shall dwell on the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace, or agreement of peace, with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant, and it will never end, with them. And I will place them and multiply them and, and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. 
My tabernacle also shall be with them, his temple. Yes, I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify or separate Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So we will finally fulfill our role as being a, a uh, an example to the world to bring all the rest of the Gentiles to God, where we will all, all fulfill Isaiah chapter Let's turn here. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets of all time. Isaiah, chapter 66, states this in verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, actually verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So this is the goal. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh, all of mankind, come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So many people that think the Sabbath is just for the Jews, uh, your Lord and Savior disagrees with you. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he reveals this. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He states, and he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man. And that word man in the Greek means mankind, not just the Jews. And not man for the Sabbath. Okay, so the Shabbat was made for all of mankind. Ephesians 5, verse 1 we, says we ought to imitate God. God rested on the Shabbat. That means all of mankind should do the same. Okay, and there's one other scripture that we need to look at, uh, Luke chapter 6, or scriptures rather, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Oh, it talks about the Sabbath again. <laughs> okay, that's good. Luke chapter 6, verse 9. And then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10, And looking round about upon them, all, he said unto the, the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Now let me explain this because you wouldn't understand what's going on here unless you understand Jewish history and, and background. The Jews have 39 rules to this day on how to keep the Sabbath. Um, there was some confusion back then, and there may be some confusion today, that you're not allowed to heal someone on the Shabbat. And that's extreme. That's not according to the Bible. That's according to their tradition, which he, uh, Jesus taught that some of the Jews' traditions make void the law of God or, or destroy the law of God. Okay. So anyway... Verse 12, and it came to pass in those days, and that was the big conflict between Jesus and and uh, the Pharisees. It wasn't about the Torah of God, the written Torah. It was about the oral Torah or the traditions that that um, took away the true meaning of, of the written Torah or, or the law of God. But anyway, in uh, verse 12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto the disciples, and of them he chose the twelve, of whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, and Zolotus and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor, which also was the traitor. And he t came down with them and stood in the plain and, and accompanied the disciples and a great multitude of the people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the sea, coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and he, and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. So this is a good passage to show you uh, a great part of his service to mankind was to heal mankind. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I will post uh, the uh, scriptures that we're going to review next week. And... Um, well, no, what we're going to do is go over, I'm going to talk about Christmas and then hopefully get to the other scriptures that I'm going to post next week. So until then, God willing, uh, I'll be available next week. May God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week.
Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 